Have you noticed that politicians struggle to enact the things they run on? That regardless of who wins elections, lawmakers find they cannot pass whatever legislation they like. They find themselves bound by what is popular, or at least their sense of it. The narrow range of policies that lawmakers can enact is called the Overton Window. And on the Overton Window podcast, we look at issues around the country and the people changing what is politically possible. States require practitioners of some jobs to be licensed, and ostensibly this is to protect public health. Uh, unfortunately, these policies can be abused to protect practitioners more than their customers, that they become high barriers of entry that keep competition out. Now, economists have long pointed out the problems that can spring from these occupational licensing requirements, yet their views have not stopped the proliferation of occupational licenses around the country. One place that is breaking that mold is Nebraska. The state now reviews its occupational licenses theoretically to propose improvements that make them better support public safety and be less of a burden to practitioners. This legislation was championed by my guest, Laura Ebke. As a legislator, she introduced and fought for this legislation, which was adopted in 2018. And she now works at the Platt Institute for Public Policy, where she tracks and comments on its implementation. Laura, welcome. Thanks, James. Why did you take up the charge for reviewing occupational licensing requirements? Sure. Well, I mean, philosophically, I believe in, in free markets and, and, and um, economic liberty. The real reason is that that the, the, the idea was pitched to me um, after the 2016 election. I was I, I had a we have four year terms in Nebraska and I was in the midst of my first term. Um, a person who was thinking about carrying this bill was defeated for reelection. And so they needed a, somebody else to carry the bill. And so I was the next in line. And um, so they pitched the bill to me. Uh, I was um, I was intrigued by the notion, you know, read the bill, didn't didn't typically shirk from things that were going to be controversial, although I didn't know how controversial this one was going to be in the early days. And so, um, you know, it, it, it seemed like good policy to me. It seemed like something that we could could make a real difference for individuals in the state and could encourage economic growth. And so that's, you know, plus I had the Platt Institute and the Institute for Justice on my side. Mm -hmm. So that's a thing that I think a lot of people don't know about is that as the job of a legislator, you're pitched a lot of things and your answer is going to be yes, it's going to be no, or you can do in, in what, uh, what you said, it's like, not only do I like this idea, I want to spend some of my time and effort as a legislator getting it passed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, legislators have a line at the beginning of the session, sit standing outside their door, um, or at least I always did, people who want you to carry one of their bills. And, and you know, typically um, you get far more requests than you can possibly handle, and some of them just don't make any sense at all. Sometimes you get people who will come in and just, you know, say, this is, we're going to be introducing this in your committee, and we've got somebody to carry it already, we'd like your support. But, but oftentimes they are actually looking for a sponsor because only a legislator, at least in my state, only a legislator can actually drop the bill in the well. And so, so, so they're always looking for sponsors. Um, sometimes it's a good fit with the sponsor. Sometimes the sponsor just does it as a favor. But, but in, our, in my case, it was a pretty good fit. Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about the bounds of the Overton window on this issue. So it seems that enacting new licenses is clearly within the bounds of the Overton window, since 
legislators introduce them and get them enacted. That's why we've got so many occupational licenses in, around the country, at least. But pushing back on them, that's also a safe position for lawmakers to take right now. Like people like you and people and other people across the spectrum have established some newfound skepticism. And yet enacting legislation that eliminates occupational licenses has kind of been outside of the bounds, or at least it hasn't happened that often. But there are some other things that are happening. So can you talk a little bit about what's driving the bounds of the window on this issue? Well, in large part, I mean, you got a couple of things. On the inside, you have the interest groups who are who, who like their control of their occupation. You know, whether it's you know the medical profession, one one of the medical professions, or um, the cosmetologists or the electricians, they all like to be able to control who can come in. I mean, that's sort of an antitrust issue in some ways. They like to control their occupation. So that's on the inside, and it's very powerful. But what you have now as well is a recognition, you know, beginning most visibly with with the um, Obama report in 2015 um, that, that laid kind of the foundation for skepticism about occupational licenses and encouraged states to start looking at their occupational licenses as barriers to entry. So, so you have sort of this 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 dual competing notions, but the Obama, I, I, I really picture the Obama administration's report as being sort of the first first permission slip for policymakers to take a serious look at it. Who have been your friends on this issue? Well, obviously the Institute for Justice, that which, which brought the model legislation, they were there to testify on the bill. The Platt Institute supported the bill early on, was one of probably the second, you know, jumped on right after I introduced it or as I introduced it. Um, and then eventually, after a little while, we had we had a criminal justice component or a second chances component, which is a, a big emphasis for the ACLU. And so the ACLU of Nebraska jumped in. And I will tell you that once we finally did get it to the floor, having the ACLU available, because we were lobbying pretty hard, you know, we had and and there are certain people who will listen to certain um, certain lobbyists more. And so we were able to bring in a nice uh, coalition. Then we also had a fourth group that played a uh, probably a less dominant role, but just because of the nature of their organization, it was the it was Nebraska Appleseed, which if people know anything about Nebraska Appleseed, it is a public policy group that is quite progressive. And it, it it focuses on, you know, kind of social justice, economic justice kind of issues. And so we really did bring a diverse coalition of, of groups together to work in, in favor of the bill. Mm -hmm. So what exactly did the bill do? Since we've been talking a little bit about it and, and the environment, it's, it's important to talk about what was actually in it. Sure. The the bill as originally written, so the bill had, the, the bill had, Two, you know, kind of, kind of two lives. The life as it was introduced was kind of the. It, it would have created a new office that would have reviewed, done both sunrise and sunset reviews of of, of all occupational licenses. So, so before new ones were created, it would be sort of like the legislative fiscal office in a lot of places that would that would do a review and determine whether or not it would make the state more or less competitive, whether it was really needed for the health, safety, and welfare of the public, and that sort of thing. And, and we ran into a little bit of a problem in the hearing, <laughs> and and with the with the administration, and it made a certain amount of sense. It, they they said 
the, the, the governor's office and other agencies said, why are you creating more government to try to reduce government? You know, I mean, sometimes you have to do things, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but, but we knew that we were going to have a hard time getting past that. So, so in the end, the, the bill also had a um, criminal justice component, which, as originally written, would have said that that the um, state could not prohibit licensure um, if in, unless the um, unless the organization unless, unless the crime was directly related to the occupation. Okay. Now, the the second life of the bill emerged after um, after the 2017 session, and we worked it over the over the summer during the interim, trying to make some amendments that would you know get it out of committee. And we had we had the majority of the committee was sort of favorably inclined to it, but they weren't necessarily ready to push it out because of the governor's opposition and so forth. So we pushed it out. We, we pushed we pushed ourselves over the summer um, to negotiate some some agreements. So basically what we did was we took the sunrise position out, uh, the sunrise efforts out, and with the idea that we wouldn't create a new office. We moved the the, the obligation for reviews away from a separate office to the legislature, which, you know, it's sort of serendipitous, I guess, but it makes sense. The legislature creates these, you know, creates these, these, these jobs and job licenses. So they might as well be the ones reviewing the job licenses because there were a lot of licenses out there that legislators had no idea even existed. So mm-hmm. this requires a regular review on a five-year cycle of, of all the job licenses. And and so so far we're in you know we're in the second year of the cycle. Mm-hmm. Although it sounds like what you're what came out of the process looks an awful lot like what you what you started with. It does. A lot of it does. You know, we got it. We got a lot of what we wanted. It's just we just sort of took different means to it because we we did get the reviews. We wanted regular reviews. It's just who's reviewing has changed. And likewise, the criminal justice component, we didn't get quite as much as we wanted, but we at least got um, we at least got a requirement that somebody who had been convicted of a crime could pre-apply or, or inquire to the licensing boards as to whether or not um, anything in their background would prevent them from being licensed, you know, because the argument was, why would you go through the time and expense of added training or taking tests or whatever, if if you weren't going to be able to, if you weren't going to be able to get licensed in the first place? Um, yeah, we got a lot of what we wanted, and we were pretty happy with that. Yeah, I wanted to talk a little bit more about just the basic legislative process because I think a lot of it's still kind of mysterious to people. Uh, for one, that legislators are usually responding to someone pitching them. But also, once you introduce the bill, most bills just go nowhere. They all get referred to a committee, and you've got to get the committee to approve it. And the committee's generally trying to look at, is this thing actually going to get passed? Uh, who's for it? Who's against it? To get it out. And then even if you, you discharge it from committee, a lot of those bills just go nowhere. Right. So how did you go from maybe this is going nowhere to, whoa, we're actually negotiating about it, about its features that are necessary to, to win its passage. 
Well, first of all, I have to give the, the caveat that, you know, in, in Nebraska, we're a unicameral and we don't have the same sort of party structure. We're officially nonpartisan. So while everybody knows who's in what party, you don't have majority leaders or anything like that that you have to go through. You have to go through the committee. In Nebraska, every bill gets a hearing. That's not the case in every state. And so so, so committee chairs sometimes have a lot more power. So every bill gets a hearing. But our first effort was to get out of committee. And so we had to figure out, you know, how to how to appeal to enough members of the committee. So we did a lot of running, my staff and myself. I had, um, you know, one of my one of my staff members is a is an attorney and he's very libertarian and was very much for this bill. So he, he was motivated to, to help us to lobby for this. So we went around and we we talked to all of the committee members and like there's eight members on the committee, seven members on the committee. I don't remember on that committee. But 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 we we got everybody but one to say, okay, if you do this and this, you know, if you if you if you move it to the legislature and don't add new bureaucracy, we can live with it. So we we negotiated that. And uh, when we opened up the session in 20 18, the bill was still sitting in committee. And so, you know, we had to make sure that they were going to push it out. So we were nagging the, the committee with some frequency because we wanted to get it out onto the floor because because of our process, you have three, three readings uh, of the bill. And, you know, we needed to get started because it was a short session. We were supposed to be in, 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 in the end of or the middle of April. And so we got them to push it out in January of that year. And and then it was just a matter of getting on the schedule. Well, then you have to go to the speaker and the speaker has to put it on the agenda. And we did do that. Um, and they don't want to put it on the agenda unless they know it's got the votes. Yeah, they, they I mean, occasionally they will just, to, you know, you have this, you have this in, in Nebraska, anyhow, we have this sort of hierarchy of if, if something gets put on the agenda early enough, it will a lot of times get heard on the floor. But if it's after priority designations, we do something we call senator priorities, then it moves, the nose move to the top of the list. So we wanted to get it out early. And then I ended up using my priority to make sure that it would get, the, 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 our, our speakers typically try to make sure that senator priorities at least get their time on the floor for the, for the first round. And then you got to get the votes to, to move on. So that was an that was an interesting experience, but we did get it on the floor. We had debate; it almost got derailed on the floor. So, how were you over uh, able to overcome opposition on this issue? Uh, negotiation, um, <laughs> you know. I mean, it's all about negotiation. So, so on the uh, so on the first round of debate, Nebraska has some. You know, we have some strange rules in our legislature, and have a filibuster. And when you reach Typically, you get six hours for your first round of debate, but the speaker at his discretion can say at three hours, we're going to stop debate, okay? And you have to prove to me that you have 33 votes in order to, uh, in order to move it. That's what's required to um, invoke cloture. And so to, to get your last three hours, you have to prove it. We got on the floor and we really didn't think there was going to be a problem. And then we start, we had the, the 
chair and a few members of the um, Health and Human Services Committee, um, you know, started bringing up, you know, well, what about healthcare licenses? They thought that we ought to just exclude healthcare licenses from this altogether. And we uh, we negotiated, and we got to about two hours and fifty minutes. And it's like I don't know if I've got thirty three votes, but maybe if I go to the speaker. <laughs> and and say, hey, you know, please just go ahead and let's pull it off the schedule. Pull pull it off right now, and let give me a little time to negotiate. And we did that. Um, he he pulled it off the schedule, and then I sat down over the course of the next couple of weeks with the senators who were opposing it. We went line by line through the bill, and we found a few little tweaks, you know, that that made them more comfortable. And then we got it out onto select file, which is our second round of debate, and a new set of opponents showed up. You know, know, it's it's funny how it it really, by all rights, this bill shouldn't have passed based on the number of, you know, we had the opposition on the floor, although we turned that. And then we had staff members who were upset, committee staff who were upset because this was going to require them to do more work during the off season, right? During the interim period. And and so they were out actually, which is kind of bizarre when you think about it, but they were out in the lobby lobbying against it. Um, mm-hmm. And um, so legislative staff was lobbying against a bill because they didn't want to work more. It's like, okay. So we finally convinced them that, you know, this was not this was not going to be as big of a problem as you think it is. And, all sort of mm-hmm. stuff. and then we got to final reading. And somewhere between the, the the select file and final reading, um, we had some new groups that that popped up that were upset about it. You know, electricians and you know some of the some of the tradesmen um, thought that somehow this was going to you know totally you know burn down the unions or something. I, I, I they they that that was that was the opposition, and we sat down and we talked to them. And I mean that's the thing that I would say that that we forget too often is the value of sitting down and talking to people who disagree with you. Because sometimes you can, you know, sometimes their opposition is fairly minor and you can tweak your your own legislation or your own ideas enough that you still get 95% of what you want, but they get enough that they back off a little bit. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about like the psychology behind these oppositions of like, I mean, let's say you're an electrician you, you're a licensed electrician. There's state licensing that you, that you have to go through. Uh, you're fine with it. And you see this bill that says, oh, that license is going to be reviewed by the legislature. And you're like, wait a second. I didn't want that. I didn't ask for this. I'm kind of mad. And I don't trust the people that are going to put on this process. So some of that opposition makes sense. And it sounds like you you did a lot to at least try and build up some trust about like, no, there are some things that that we want to do that's not necessarily here. Uh, So can you talk to me a little bit about how those negotiations went? Sure. Well, I mean, one of the arguments is, and one of the discussions that I had with them was, well, the legislature was expert enough to pass the legislation, Mm -hmm. you know, pass the licensure. So why wouldn't they be expert enough to review the licensure on a, on a, you know, five-year basis? that seemed to help. The other piece of it was that, you know, I said, well, why, you know, I would ask people, I said, why do we license? Well, because we want to keep the public safe. I said, okay, we want to keep the public safe. We want to, you know, we want to protect the health, safety, and welfare. That's, those are the three, you know, key words in any kind of occupational licensing discussion. So if we want to protect the health, safety, and welfare, why would you be concerned 
about having what you're doing reviewed so that you can prove that you are protecting the health, safety, and welfare. I mean, you, know, you do a little bit of reverse psychology kind of thing um, because it doesn't make sense unless they uh, unless they are being intentionally monopolistic or protectionist. It doesn't make sense that they wouldn't be willing to review. And that's sort of... That sort of backed them off a little bit in, in in most cases. When it came right down to it, the big issue was what it was going to cost us to review in terms of staff time and things like that. Most of the opposition, once once we had the conversations, they were able to back off and say, "Oh, okay, whatever," you know. <laughs> and 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 in the end, if you look at the vote in the, in the on final reading. We had out out of 49, I think we had three not voting, one opposed, and the other 43 or whatever it was for it. So, I mean, we we came up with a near unanimous, near unanimous vote. Although I bet going through that process, it didn't seem like you would get that. Well, I I wasn't sure I was going to. I was I was pretty I, I I was taking a deep breath even on final reading because you know as as we're going through and we're voting, watching, counting. Okay, do we have it? Do we have it? So it was it was pretty exciting once we did finally get to that point. But yeah, we passed it on the last day of the legislature, and so that was the that was the other exciting piece of it was that you know okay we've only got two hours left. We have to pass this. And if we don't get it passed today, we're going to be in big trouble. And then not knowing, you know, we had tried to extract a promise from the governor to sign it or from his staff, you know, philosophically, we thought, well, he should agree with it. But, you know, they had opposed it early on and and we couldn't, we couldn't get a commitment. And so even after it passed in the legislature, we weren't entirely sure that he wasn't going to veto it. Until and and the, the the governor has I think five days after the session five business days after the session uh, the, the session closes to decide whether to sign or veto and send it to the secretary of state but we don't have a chance at that point to override so we were we were um, holding our breath for about a week waiting to see if he was going to sign it mm-hmm. he was able to sign it. Um... You've got the first of its kind review process for all of the occupational licenses in the state of Nebraska. Uh, you had what you wanted uh, wanted to accomplish uh, with this, and you've had a couple of years of implementation, or is it a single year right now? We've had well, we've had one that's completely implemented, so they're in the second year. One of the things that we had to do as as part of our negotiations was a budget consideration, and there was a concern that that you know, starting it in 2018 when it would have gone into effect would have that summer that interim would have been problematic so we said okay we'll give you until it goes into effect January 1st 2020 or 2019 rather and so that was the first year that interim was the first year that they did the the reviews most of the committees jumped on and realized you know we did a couple of lunch and learns and things like that and most of them realized uh, lunch and learn. Oh yeah, lunch and learn is <laughs> lunch and learn is something that we in that, that we in Nebraska and I suspect other places do this as well. You get you 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 buy lunch and you have sort of a little seminar with the with the legislative staff. And so um, we got together. We bought box lunches for the staff for the committee staff and said, okay, let's talk a little bit about what this can look like. And, I, and by this time, I was out of the legislature and I was working for the Platt Institute. 
we said, you know, this is what it could look like. And I you know, tried to explain to them sort of the vision because some of the staff really didn't know what the vision was. And it's funny because one of the staff members who had been the biggest opponent to staff doing this said, oh, that's not such a big deal. I said, yeah, it's not. <laughs> you know, so we were able to kind of, and I did a lot of the, the the work. You know, we did a lot of the work in terms of determining what license, because a lot of people had no idea how many licenses we had. So, uh, so, so we went through and you know determined how many licenses there were, and you know all the ones that we could find in statute, and and then did the research to figure out which committee of jurisdiction would cover them, because some of them, some of those licenses were so old that the committee didn't exist anymore. That you know that, that when they when the legislature had done reorganization, that they had you know that they had changed names or they had re reformed committees with different with different mm-hmm. jurisdictions. So we assigned we assigned them where they thought they belonged. And I think most of the committees have 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 taken up our our suggestions in terms of you know who's supposed to do what. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, how is the process going? So far, it's going pretty well. I mean, I think the first year they were they they tried to pick the easy ones, and and health and human services, the health and human services committee this year, you know, did a lot of is in the in the process of a lot of the licenses, but they're all ones you know the, the nurses licenses and things like that, which nobody's really gunning for in the short term. But it is interesting because we're finding and out. And it's easier to make a public health case that, yes, yeah. the people that are working in hospitals and engaging in public health are engaging in the health of individuals are actually doing something for public health. Right. And you want to have, you know, that, that you want to have some sort of standards in that, whether the state should be controlled. And we, that, that's another debate, whether the state should be determining the standards. But But certainly, I think that, you know, from a political point of view, there's not a lot of reason for us to say, well, we want to get rid of medical licenses and nurses licenses and dentist licenses and things like that. I don't think we're ready. I don't think we're ready for that. But I think that there are things like nurses aides, which you, you could argue they work under the, the, the nursing assistants work under the direction of nurses that maybe you don't need the license or, or whatever. I, cosmetology is one of those that is always, you know, out there. And what's, what you find is, you know, when they actually do the, you know, you have some of these organizations that come in and say, well, we need to have 2000 hours of training, or we need to have 2,500 hours of training. And then when you start comparing into other states, which is what, you know, which was what we're asking them to do in the, in the review process, they find out that, boy, Nebraska sure regulates at a higher level than, you know, Iowa and South Dakota. And so- Uh, Do we get better outcomes for having these uh, higher boundaries? Exactly. Um, And, and in most cases, I think you would say no. And so- is is there a difference between somebody who has a thousand hours of training versus two thousand hours of training in terms of the quality of haircut that they give? I, I I don't know, you know, and so I think that there are. I think that this is bringing to light a lot of things. The other thing that the bill is doing, the, or that the bill has done, I think, I mean, we saw this first in the 2019 session, and then again in this past session, is when new occupational licensing is introduced and it always is. You know, somebody is always some group is always out there to try to create their own practice act or to get their own, you know, their own occupations license. Typically they break off of others. So interior designers are one or landscape architects or, you know, I mean there's all sorts of things that they want to have kind of their own subspecialty separate from somebody else, right? 
And so when you have these new licensing acts, we saw, as we testified against new licensing acts, we saw during the hearings that senators are starting to ask the question, well, how would this play into the 299 process, LB 299? Which is the bill. bill, And so they're at least thinking about, okay, if we do this, are we going to have more reviews? And how does it fit into the, the inverted pyramid framework? For those who are occupational licensing nerds, the inverted pyramid, I think, was originated with the Institute of Justice. But it, it argues that, that at the top of the inverted pyramid, the free market works the best, that, that you should have almost no or no government regulations of, uh, of the marketplace. And that at the very tip, at the very bottom, that's licensure. And almost nobody ought to be, ha- have to be licensed by the state. And so they are, the senators are starting to ask questions as they do these reviews. And as we show up to talk about occupational licensing, they're starting to ask the question, well, is that really necessary for the public health, safety, and welfare. I mean, so I mean, I, I think it's, it is a, have we seen drastic results? No, we haven't seen any occupations go away as a result of the reviews. Occupational licenses. Right. Any occupational you licenses go away. Yeah, yeah, that's right. <laughs> we haven't seen any occupational licenses really go away as a result. Mm-hmm. But we also we also see a little bit of a reluctance um, or a hesitance, at least, to create new licensure and mm-hmm. I think an openness to kind of reframe things. That was really one of the most important things I wanted to ask you, which is you've, you've done this first of a kind thing. Have you been able to leverage your victory on that bill to accomplish some other policy goals around occupational licensing? We were very close last year to getting a universal recognition bill out of committee here in uh, Nebraska. Brief overview, yeah. what does that do? Yeah, universal recognition is, is basically the idea that if you are licensed in another state in an occupation that our state licenses for, we're going to recognize your license. You don't lose your skills. And if you've got, if you're in good standing in your other state, we're not going to make you jump through a whole bunch more legal hoops or educational hoops in order to get licensed. And, and a number of states have already done that. Arizona was one of the first and Pennsylvania. Iowa did it this summer. So we're going to make the argument that, you know, Iowa's done it. Missouri has done it. You know, we ought to be doing it here in Nebraska as well. We didn't have time to get it out of committee with, with COVID and everything this year. Things got sort of bungled up. But we will, I'm sure, have another run at it this next session. And uh, hopefully we can we can get that accomplished. So how do you feel about your success on this bill and the prospects for future reform in Nebraska? Well, I'm really proud of what we did in 2018, and I am really proud of the fact, and I I tout this at every opportunity, of the sort of um, cross-partisan, cross-philosophical effort that we had because we really did bring people from across the political spectrum together to work you know, work on this policy. So that it was probably one of the highlights of my four years in the legislature, you know, in terms of, of, of the pride that I feel for it. I think that occupational licensing will continue, especially post-COVID. You know, occupational licensing is going to be, continue to be a question that we're going to that we're going to struggle with how much do you really need to do how much does it how much does excessive occupational licensing uh, you know limit growth 
one of the things that you know I'm going to make the case for with respect to uh, in Nebraska anyhow with respect to universal recognition is that it encourages people who might want to move to less populated states you know who want to who, who've seen the the advantages of uh, of you know staying at home that if 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 one member of the family can work from home and the other one has a licensed occupation that if they can move from Kansas City or wherever to Nebraska and live out in you know central Nebraska and have good internet that they can work from home um and the other one is a i don't know a, a cosmetologist then then why not you know i mean i think that there i think that it makes it a lot easier to make those decisions as a family if both members of the family have a, a, an easier path to gainful employment. So where can people learn more about occupational licensing? Well, there's all sorts of places, but certainly at the Platt Institute. Um, the Platt Institute has a has has an uh, aggressive program in occupational licensing. You can contact me. It's lebke at plattinstitute.org. And you know, I'm always happy to talk to folks. We have a multi-state program. We've been lucky that we have been, we've received some grant opportunities. And now that the Nebraska process is underway, we're starting to reach out to some other states and to try to help other smaller policy organizations, policy institutes who may not have the capacity to do it all by themselves, who need a little bit of an, a little bit of a boost. We have a series of publications and videos and training materials and, you know, we'll help with co-authoring op-eds and that sort of thing. And I'll even come out, uh, if, once we get past COVID and, and we can travel again, I'll even come out and testify. We did some work with the folks in Iowa and we continue to work with them. And we've got several other states that we've got some relationships with as well. Well, Laura, congratulations on shifting the Overton window in your state. And thank you for sharing your experience with us. Absolutely. Thanks, James. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Overton Window, a podcast by the Mackinac Center for Public Policy. Learn more about The Overton Window at www.theovertonwindow.com.